0: Hi again, everybody, I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the All I Want for Christmas. Addition, as the Bengals look to extend their winning streak to seven and remain alone in first place in the AFC North with a Christmas Eve victory in New England. Coming up, I'll talk to Joe Mixon about how a running back's body feels in Game 15 and about his friendship with Samaj Pirine. NFL insider Tom Pellicero from the NFL Network joins me to discuss where the Bengals stand with the playoffs approaching. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll spend a few minutes with the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi. The Bengals Booth podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at paycor.com. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone tablet or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts it's the greatest thing since the post office fedex ups and anybody that delivers packages my christmas shopping started on monday yes this monday as in december 19th between the bengals uc football and uc basketball it's an especially busy time of the year and it's difficult to go shopping. Thankfully, between the Internet and the various delivery options, the gifts will be under the tree in time. It brings to mind the old postal creed. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night, nor broadcasters who put off their shopping until the last minute, stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Now, let's look ahead to Sunday's game between the 10-4 and 4 Bengals and the 7 and 7 Patriots. Cincinnati's offense is cooking. The Bengals are tied for fifth in the league in scoring at 26.4 points a game, but will face a New England defense that's tied for seventh in fewest points allowed at 19.4. This week, I caught up with Joe Mixon, who leads the team with 1079 yards from scrimmage. Joe speaking to Mike Brown the other day. And he brought up his respect for running backs. He pointed out that you guys get hit by multiple people about every time you carry the ball and bounce up like it's nothing. Here's my question. How do you feel the day after?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not too bad, as bad as people think, um, you know, especially being used to that type of pounding. I mean, that's pretty much why we train the way we do, specifically in the offseason. I mean, It's definitely not a fun feeling, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? But it's definitely um, something that it's not as bad as people think, but it it can take a toll on you uh, depending on what type of hits you take. You've been known to deliver the punishment as much as take it. Can you tell when a guy doesn't want
0: to tackle you anymore?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you just see they start really diving at the floor, just diving at air, and sometimes they're just really hoping to get lucky. Um, Depending on most of the time with the space and opportunity, um, at that point, you just try to do whatever you can and make them miss or um, basically make them uh, indecisive on what they really want to do. I mean, obviously, most likely, they're going to try to dive at our legs or our knees or ankles, but mo- most of the time, too many it's not too many DBs that's really going to st- sit there and uh, hit you up top. I know you hate to miss games.
0: You recently had to miss about two and a half games. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, was it a good thing? to get a break at this time of the year?
1: Like you said, as much as you hate to uh, miss him, it was definitely um, good for the long run, um, the body. And I think that um, the guys did a great job, um, especially P. Ryan and Trey and Chris, them guys did a great job coming in and filling in and just picking up where we left off. And um, I think they did a hell of a job, and I hang my hat. Um, and I'm just you know proud of how they came out and responded i mean um in terms of like for me uh it was it was tough but at the same time like i said it was definitely good enough for other um, parts in my body to heal up so it was definitely good
0: so following up on that the bengals have this running back i'm not sure if his name is joe p ryan or Samaje mixon <laughs> but he's rushed for 1095 yards this year in what ways are two guys better than one
1: sometimes when you have that compliment back um, it keeps it keeps the other one fresh and really keeps both of them fresh and I think that it's definitely some it's it's cool sometimes to be able to have that change of pace back whether it's a thumper or whether it's a you know a a, a guy that's gonna make somebody miss all the time like sometimes that could definitely be very beneficial to both uh guys so I think that's um you know, pretty much the biggest thing that you really can get from that.
0: You guys are teammates at Oklahoma, met on a recruiting trip, NFL teammates now for several years. Do you remember your first impressions of Samaje when you met way back in Norman?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember he, I think he's about 18 years old, and uh, I just remember us both at the spring game, and then I'm like, man, like, I'm like, wait, who is this? And all of a sudden, <laughs> it was like, okay, that's the other running back. I'm like, okay, that's what's up. But then, when I see him, I'm like, damn, he looked like a grown-ass man right there. <laughs> and, you know, he just had a big-ass beard and just lo- really looked like he's somebody dad or somebody uncle. And literally, like, you know, he was been, he's been my teammate ever since. And, you know, I just loved having that relationship with him. And um, hasn't nothing changed, you know, since we've known each other. It's literally since day one.
0: We're chatting with Joe Mixon. Here comes a tough question for you. In your first year together at Oklahoma, he set the NCAA single-game rushing record. 427 yards against Kansas. Two years later, you had a game with 263 rushing yards and two touchdowns and 114 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Who had the better individual performance?
1: I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, it's kind of hard to um, pinpoint out which individual effort was better. I mean, at the end of the day, they were both um, record-setting numbers. But at the same time, it's just, you know, depending on what you like, it's all opinionated, you know, depending on what you like as a um, as a runner or do you like, you know, mix of both or receiving. Like, it's just, I just think it depends. But I think, you know, I, I'm definitely – I'm a firm believer, like, if you break a, a record that's never been done before or that's, you know, been locked in for years – I mean, I'll give it to him, you know, having a 427. Like, that was uh, definitely an incredible moment for him. Like, I I definitely felt like that was definitely special. The correct answer was that's a stupid
0: question. They were both awesome performances. (laughs) All right, you face the Patriots on Saturday. That's a salty defense, top ten against the run and against the pass. Mm -hmm. Does anything or anyone jump out when you watch that defense?
1: Mainly, obviously, I mean, you have to go with Matt Judon. Um, he's been a monster since he's since day one he entered the league. And I remember him in his Baltimore days, and I just remember the front that they had. It's like they got all of these All Pros. Like Zadarius Smith went to Green Bay. Like I mean, as they had a lot of guys that really was very stout, and that you know they went separate ways and. Um, Matt Judon, he went to New England, and ever since he went to New England, like he was even crazier than what he was at Baltimore. So um, he's definitely number one that jumps out on the list. But um, they have they have a very solid defense. Um, like you say, they're top ten in every individual or every stat. You know, with regarding the run and the um, pass. So I think that it's gonna be. Um, we got our work cut out for us for sure. But at the end of the day, they do too. So we just got to do whatever we can to go out there and execute. And that's that's the number one you know thing that's going out there and executing and winning the game. That's just what it is.
0: Last week in Tampa, the temperature was in the mid-60s. It's probably the last time you'll play in warm weather, unless you make it to the Super Bowl in Arizona. Does the running game gain importance in cold-weather games late in the year?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think more so um, because – Sometimes teams gear up for the pass, so I think most of the time that um, the teams that make that run and, you know, the stretch down in the playoffs uh, tend to be able to run the ball and run it effectively. And, you know, Coach Callahan, he tries to make it an emphasis on, um, you know, be very efficient in a run game. And we've, I think we've been doing a great job um, leading up to last week. I think we've done a great job of that and you know, just try to keep continuing to build and get better because at some point we're, we're going to have to be leaned on and I feel like um, at any moment we'll be ready for that moment for sure.
0: Last question for Joe Mixon. I saved some old interviews that I find interesting. Sometimes I can use them again in the various things that I do. I have one of you from the final game of the year a few years ago when the team was really struggling, mm-hmm. and you said the following, I promise you. We ain't going to be in this for long, and that's a fact. Did you believe it, or were you trying to convince yourself that that would be the case?
1: It was a little bit of both. Because the thing about uh, me, I felt like we definitely had the talent. We just had to figure out and find ways to win. And when we got a lot of them guys from winning football teams, I mean, it just made it like it turned the page. And from that point, when we got them guys from winning organizations and guys that's dying to do whatever, you know, to, you know, do their all to get the job done, um, that's, that just, that changed the tempo. And I felt like at that point when we got them high character guys and built that chemistry with each other in the locker room on and off the field, I thought that was a game changer, man. So when we got them guys that turned everything around and, um, you know, what I said, that's, that's still true. And, you know, we just got to do whatever we can to obviously keep building. But, I mean, the number one ultimate goal is to, you know, win that Super Bowl. And I feel like we, we're set up and we're in prime position to make that run. Um, I'll tell everybody we've been there and we know how to get there and we know what it's going to take. And that's the best thing about these guys in the locker room. They're willing to do whatever it takes, man. So um, we just got to play it out one week at a time. Every game is a playoff game from here on out. And, um, you know, may all the cards fall in place and we end up there and win it.
0: Always great to spend a few minutes with you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Best of luck the rest
1: of the way. Yes, sir. Same to you and the family for sure.
0: Joe needs to average about 93 yards a game over the final three to reach 1,000 yards rushing for the fourth time in his career. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home business and community to a new level elevate your connection with altafiber the bengals will not have sam hubbard this week he injured his left calf last sunday at tampa bay and tom pellicero from the nfl network was the first to report that sam is likely to miss a few weeks but the bengals are hopeful to have him back in time for the playoffs I spoke to Tom Pellicero about that and much more this week. Tom, the Bengals are on a roll. They've won six straight. They've climbed into sole possession of first place in the AFC North. What stands out to you when you watch the Bengals right now?
2: Well, I think it's just the fact that, once again, this team is improving as the season goes on. They went through that patch there where they're a little bit beat up, uh, you know, at wide receiver. Obviously, Jamar Chase was not playing First stretch here, but now that you're getting a lot healthier here and you've got Joe Mixon back after he missed time uh, with the concussion, you got Chase back. Uh, And that defense just continues to play better and better. That might be the biggest thing. We know all the weapons that the Bengals have on offense with Chase and Mixon and, of course, Joe Burrow distributing the football. But it's what that defense that probably doesn't have a lot of names that we talk about on a regular basis on NFL Network. And one of the big names, Trey Hendrickson, being out right now uh, with a wrist injury, the fact that they continue to find ways – They're so good in terms of halftime adjustments. Lou Onarumo deserves a ton of credit uh, for what he's doing with that unit right now. They just look very dangerous right now in all three phases.
0: Tom, you were the first to report that Sam Hubbard is likely to miss a few weeks with the injury that he suffered to his calf. On the defensive end specifically, are those injuries starting to mount?
2: There's no question that they're they're starting to mount. I mean, you take away your top two, um, you know, edge rushers, that's going to impact any team. Again, I I would have faith in Lou that he's going to be able to dial some things up and uh, account for some of that. You know, the good news is it does sound like Hubbard uh, should be back for the playoffs. And certainly the hope is that Trey Hendrickson is also back. Uh, So you just got to kind of weather the storm here uh, in the short term and hope you can uh, get after Mac Jones coming up this weekend.
0: You were here in training camp, so you got a firsthand look at the Bengals going into the season. What was your reaction when they
2: started 0-2 and had trouble protecting Joe Burrow? You always, uh, I think, when you talk about the team that played in the Super Bowl the prior year, you always worry about the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, There's a long history. I think people are familiar with the stats about the team that uh, goes to the Super Bowl and doesn't win and kind of what happens uh, to them after that. Uh, but, you know, again, credit to this coaching staff for being able to turn things around. I don't think that there was any panic at any point. You know, Joe Burrow's too good for one thing. Let's start there. Joe Burrow's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's an MVP candidate in my mind uh, this year. You know that he's going to find a way to kind of right the ship, uh, and he should only be getting better here for. Uh, years to come, so you know just the fact that they've kind of you know found their identity. Uh, I think that any that you don't play, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that they played their starters much of at all in the preseason. You know, anytime that you don't don't get those reps, there's you kind of use those first couple games as the preseason. So the Bengals did that; they got out of that stretch, and they look as dangerous as anybody right now.
0: Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network is our guest. Let me follow up on Joe Burrow. You did an in-depth look at the quarterback class of 2020 prior to that draft, and it's turned out to be an excellent class with Burrow and Herbert and Tungo Vailoa and Jalen Hurts and others. An NFL coach told you back then, quote, Joe Burrow is not a natural thrower and would be a high-risk pick At number one, I'm not going to ask you to divulge who that NFL, uh, NFC coach was. But when you talk to people around the league now about Joe Burrow, what do they say?
2: Well, I think that going back to that piece, and I do that every year, and I write the good and bad of everything that coaches and scouts say. So there were plenty of more positive quotes about Joe Burrow in that story as well. But here's the thing, Joe Burrow going into his last year, at LSU was not regarded as the number one pick. He wasn't regarded as a first round pick. A lot of people had him as a day three pick. And that's just because of what they evaluated in terms of the traits. And you're looking at, you know, the way that he throws the football. Uh, you're looking at the fact that the productivity was not nearly where it was before his uh, final year uh, with the Tigers when he threw 50 touchdown passes and had NFL players everywhere around him and took him to the national title game. Uh, so there's a lot of people who, you know, were looking at their original evaluations and thinking, okay, are we being swayed by the fact that this guy just had this amazing season with literally NFL players started at almost every spot on that offense? And those are always the things that that teams have to judge. You know, as scouts, you're looking for traits. When you're coaches, you're looking at the mechanics. and You're looking at how somebody uh, throws the football. I think that, you know, in that particular year, you did have some other guys who could have had a claim to be the number one pick. I mean, Justin Herbert, His tape, he was not nearly as productive, but he also played in a terrible offense uh, at Oregon where they, you know, in big games, they just basically turned him into a running quarterback. They didn't let him throw. And so, you know, you had people who really believed in Herbert and his ability, you know, in terms of the total package in terms of how he's built and and the height and the arm strength and all those things. And then Tua didn't check those physical boxes because he's a shorter quarterback. He's left-handed. You know, he'd been injured a lot, but people, you know, if you were, run a certain style of offense some people really really like that tape so i think that was as much it as anything was the fact that you know was burrow far and away in terms of physical traits the guy no but i think the other things that you see in that story looking back was he's extremely accurate he's an extremely fast processor leadership traits are off the charts all those things can make up for what a peyton manning or a tom brady or other guys might lack and whether you're peyton going number one or you're brady going in the sixth round Um, you know, those guys tend to find a way to rise to the top, and Joe Burrow's doing exactly that.
0: Tom, you're always involved heavily uh, with coverage of the Combine and of the draft. Do you think Duke Tobin and his staff get enough credit nationally for the job they've done in building this roster?
2: No, I don't, and I think that Duke is, you know, obviously one of the underrated people. It's a unique setup, of course, in Cincinnati because Mike Brown is is very involved. The family's very involved in uh, personnel, but you know, Duke functions on kind of a day-to-day basis as a general manager type of a role. Uh, you know, they've got a. It's not the biggest scouting staff. The Bengals send their coaches out as much as anybody, probably more than any team in the NFL on scouting trips uh, to kind of fill in uh, some of those gaps, but they've always had a a unique eye for players. Uh, They've been willing to dig in and frankly, take some chances at times uh, with players that other teams were not going to touch for a variety of reasons, Uh, but they've assembled a really, really good roster. I always think it's also, you know, there is a little bit of luck through the draft process, and that's not to attribute the way the Bengals are built to luck, but you know, the fact that you happen to have the number one pick when a, a Joe Burrow comes out, The fact that somehow Jamar Chase is not one of the top four picks in the draft and you're able to get them uh, where they were. You know, those are the things that you just you never know. I mean, there's other teams look around the league. The Vikings got Justin Jefferson at number, you know, Jamar's former college teammate at like number 18 or something in the draft. And now if you redrafted that, you go, the guy should be one of the top picks. But that's just kind of it was the same draft. That's just kind of how the the thing goes, but in terms of, yeah, the, the talent that they've assembled, and I think also making some shrewd pickups in free agency, that's maybe the undersold part. I think people always look at the Bengals as, well, they don't, they don't spend money in free agency and they're not going to make trades. Well, when they do spend money, they get Von Bell and they get Trey Hendrickson and they fill in those really important pieces or this year bringing in the offensive alignment. You mentioned that that group struggled out of the gate. Well, it's five guys who have never played with each other before. So they're starting to gel. They're getting better. Burrow's getting a rhythm with them, which is a big thing for quarterbacks as well. Uh, it all adds up to a team that, you know, in a really tough AFC, because let's remember, you gotta get through the Chiefs and you gotta get through the Bills, but other teams should be looking and saying, we gotta get through the Bengals too.
0: Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network is our guest. Going back to training camp, you did a lengthy interview with uh, Brian Callahan. Do you expect Brian and Lou Anarumo to be among the leading candidates in the coaching cycle this off
2: I certainly think so. I I think that, you know, if you're just talking macro, every team's going to have, you know, different qualities they're looking for. Everyone's going to have different criteria. There's going to be, you know, the Sean Paytons, uh, you know, Dan Quinn, Jim Harbaugh, he decides he wants to coach some of those types of unique situations, but in terms of the first time head coaches, Brian Callahan absolutely is going to be there. You know, you look at his track record, he's been fortunate to be around a lot of really good quarterbacks from Matthew Stafford to Peyton Manning to obviously now, uh, with Joe Burrow, uh, he was with Derek Carr out in, in, uh, wherever they were Oakland at that time with the Raiders, uh, as well. But he's also, you know, he's a very steady personality. He's got a big role in terms of the game planning process. He interviewed with the Broncos last year. I know that they, uh, really liked him. Obviously they went another direction, uh, but he should be in the mix. And then Lou, you know, had an interview last year with the Giants. Uh, you know, he's, He's older than Callahan. Obviously, at this point, he comes from a defensive background, which is not going to be for everyone. But if you're looking for you know, leaders of men, people who have set a culture, Zach Taylor deserves a huge amount of credit for what's happened in Cincinnati. But, you know, Luan Rumo has done that, too. I mean, he's been a big part of what they're building, again, with a bunch of guys who, if you ask the average fan, even if it's fan elsewhere in the AFC North, name, name as many Bengals defensive players as you can. I don't know that you have people get very far past Jesse Bates and maybe Trey Hendrickson and then just go, I, I don't know who these guys are. They've got good players. But, you know, the way that has brought that group together, the way that he varies the game plan from week to week, the way he challenges different styles of quarterbacks, you know, and again, the way that he set that culture, those should all be positives. He's going to need a plan for what he does uh, with the offense, but I would fully anticipate he'll have that. So
0: last week was insane in the NFL. The Bengals rallied from 17 down down against Tom Brady, and that's like fifth on the list of wild things that happened. You were at the craziest game of all, 33-0 at halftime. The Colts lead the Vikings, and Minnesota comes back to win in overtime. Describe what it was like to be in the stadium
2: as that comeback happened. You know, I was the sideline reporter on NFL Network for that game, and you kind of go in in those situations with a bunch of stories you want to tell and the things that I was on the Vikings sideline, Lindsey Zarniak was on the Colts sideline, different things you want to tell about how they, you know, a game plan through the week, adjustments they're making, fun little stories that some of the players have told you, and then all of a sudden the Vikings are just getting their doors blown off, and it's like, well, everything on my notepad, this is all out. I'm not going to be able to talk about any of this. 33 to nothing at halftime. I go back to our green room just to eat something quickly. I'm going, can't believe that this is this bad of a game. Then you come out and it's just completely the opposite. A lot of things went wrong. You know, it wasn't a matter of the Vikings were being physically manhandled or anything in the first half. It was just, you know, Delvin Cook had a fumble. They had two breakdowns uh, in the return game, gave up longer turns. Uh, They obviously had a pick six in there and they had a defensive uh, touchdown overturned because of uh, forward progress had been called. So, you know, 33 to nothing. Kirk Cousins told me later that Patrick Peterson told him in the locker room, you know, all we need is five touchdowns. And Kirk said, I thought he was being sarcastic. But they come out, they score early in the second half, then they cut it. It was, I believe, 36 to 14 in the third quarter. And I turned to uh, Scott Landy, who was my spotter, and just said, they're going to win this game. He's like, what? I'm like, just... Look at the energy. You could feel it in the stadium. You could see it on the Colts players. You could see it on the Vikings sideline. Now, there was frustration, and there were some players who were not happy at various points because it wasn't like they played a perfect second half. I mean, they did give the ball, you know, had to punt the ball back a couple of times and and got stopped a couple of times. But you could just see they had a path forward there. And sure enough, it gets closer and closer, ends up being um, the greatest or the biggest comeback in NFL history. I've never seen – anything like it, Uh, you know, talking to Kirk after the game. And I was telling him and he was learning in real time from me. It's like in NFL history, in NFL history. Okay. I need a second. Uh, It was, it was a special, cool thing to be a part of, especially when you you look around the stadium where it had been completely dead. I think the biggest cheer in the first two hours, there was the mascots versus fifth graders game that they had on the field. And then you're watching it. I thought it might be half empty because the game was so bad, but you look up there and the whole crowd's doing the skull chant and they got it down to one score, and it is just rocking in there, and you watch the sideline, and you can see it in guys' eyes. It was just really cool to see, have that up-close view, and I, I don't know that I'll ever see a game quite like that again.
0: It's the Bengals and Patriots Saturday, Christmas Eve. The Bengals trying to stay on the hunt for the number one playoff seed in the AFC. What are a couple of keys to the matchup
2: this Saturday in Foxboro? Well, in my mind, it's just don't let Ramondre Stevenson get going. We've seen that he's the he's the guy who can make things happen in that Patriots offense. There's obviously a lot of frustration right now um, in the passing game. They rely heavily on you know the quick game and you know short passes. And Mac Jones, if you're an amateur lip reader, has expressed some frustration about that uh, at times. But they're not a team that's going to threaten you a whole bunch vertically. So I would I would anticipate. And lose a lot smarter than I am but I would anticipate you're loading up and just making sure don't let the run game beat you let Mac Jones try to beat you uh, going over the top and then on the flip side of that this is a really really good Patriots defense I don't know I haven't looked at the rankings for week 15 but they're one of the top ranked defenses uh, in the NFL you're just gonna need to let your best players be the best players Bill Belichick always in every game plan it always starts with how do we keep their best player from being the one who beats us mate. We're going to make you win left-handed. Well, luckily for the Bengals, they've got so many different playmakers, you know, not just Jamar Chase, but T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And uh, I don't know if Hayden Hurst is back or not, uh, but Joe Mixon, there's a lot of different things that they can do. So it's going to be one of those games where you use the cliche, you know, take what the defense gives you. Uh, I would anticipate, you know, between Zach and Brian Callahan, they're going to be looking at this. How are the Bengals going to play us? I would think they're going to play to not let Jamar Chase beat you. Um, maybe it's a big Joe Mixon day. We'll see how it plays out uh, coming up this weekend.
0: Tom, I know your schedule is crazy. I really appreciate you doing this. Happy holidays and thanks for the time. You got it. Thank you. The Bengals Booth podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Last week, the Bengals beat Brady. This week they'll try to beat Belichick. Bill's all-time record against Cincinnati is 16 and four, and believe it or not, his record against the Bengals is identical at his two coaching stops. He was eight and two as the head coach of the Browns, and he's eight and two as head coach of the Patriots. But this year's team for lack of a better term does not look Belichickian. The Patriots have made an unusually high number of mistakes, culminating with the final play of last week's game at las vegas now on a
3: third and ten three seconds left jones will give it to stevenson he started right he runs it up the middle hit by chandler jones slips the hit across the 45 with a stiff arm off a tackle at the 40 he lost the football and jacoby myers picks it up he circles back and he throws it across the field toward oh my Jones It's picked up by chandler jones he breaks away to the 30 he runs to the 20 he runs to the 10 he runs to the end zone Night. Raiders. Good night. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. And a victory for Las Vegas.
0: That outstanding play-by-play call on the Patriots radio network was courtesy of my longtime friend, Bob Sosi We are both former announcers for the Pawtucket Red Sox minor league baseball team. And I caught up with Bob this week in our Know the Foe segment. Bob, last week's loss was obviously an all-timer. I'm sure fans and media have been playing the blame game ever since. Who has been the primary target of their ire? Well, you know, Dan, you might think
3: it would be the two players who lateraled on the last possession, Ramadre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers. But I think, and it's not just that particular game that's led to I think the criticism for the coaching staff, and in particular head coach Bill Belichick, but I think it's you know, all it's something that dates back to the summer and the decision after Josh McDaniels was hired to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, replacing the offensive staff essentially with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, a former defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator for the Patriots, of course, both of whom were back in New England as failed head coaches. And it has been topic A from spring through summer, and now as we approach winter. And last week's game you know, was really one that I think pointed out uh, not only you know the, the, the problems the Patriots have faced uh, as a team of late, but really all year long in terms of coaching, situational football, uh, the kind of uh, procedural mistakes they've made, the mental errors that are uncharacteristic of what we have become accustomed to with Bill Belichick. Uh, So, you know, to try to make sense of something that's almost inexplicable, people say, you know, it falls on the head coach and that's where the criticism has been directed and it has been swelling and it's been consistent uh, of late, especially as you know, uh, as harsh as the Boston media can be on sports radio here locally.
0: Help us understand why Bill Belichick would choose Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to run the offense considering their backgrounds were not on the offensive side of the ball.
3: You know, it goes back, I think, to Bill's days in Cleveland. When you look back at his early career with the Browns, uh, he had a similar offensive uh, coordination by committee. Uh, Elliot, uh, I believe it was Gary Tranquil, who was the offensive coordinator in title, but it was really a, a by committee approach to calling plays. And Bill had a strong head in that, a strong voice. In, in making the play calls. And it was a system that, for, for uh, you know, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, failed. It was, it was an offense that was really one of the worst in the league. And over the course of time, as Bill hired Charlie Weiss and Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, of course, was here in between McDaniels' two stints. Uh, the offense was kind of its own entity. And it, it had developed under McDaniels to become his offense and Tom Brady's offense. And I think Bill looked at things in a couple of different ways. What he wanted to streamline was a very complicated system for newcomers to pick up, rookies, uh, veteran free agents, trade acquisitions. You know, it's It's been well-known, well-established, and no better example than Chad Cinco, for example, the former Bengal who came to New England and never really adapted to the Patriot offensive scheme. It's been an offense that was very complex and very difficult to adjust to for a lot of players, again, whether novices in the NFL or veterans. So Bill wanted to condense things. He wanted to streamline it, make it more simplified. And then on the other hand, he's he'd been losing this succession of young offensive minds to other jobs. You know, you look at the Patriots coaching staff in recent years, I mean, as recently as their last Super Bowl champion in 2018, and then compare it to today, or even if you want to take a step or two uh, further back in time, you had Brian Dable on the same staff as Josh McDaniels on the 2016 Patriots that won Super Bowl 51. And now Dable, of course, after a great stint in Buffalo as the head coach of the New York Giants. So there's some thought that Bill wanted to kind of guard against, you know, that next young offensive bright mind moving on. It, it maintains some continuity in that he's got these longtime lieutenants, guys that are very loyal to him on the staff calling offense. But of course, at the same time, you know, there, there's this disconnect. And, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's a mind boggling uh, you know, situation. And it's been that way since day one. Uh, so, you know, I think that Bill also believes that a good football coach is a good football coach. And Bill has had a strong say. You could see it in the goal line situation last week, really the game against Las Vegas. Bill still has a say. Now the offense is run. we've seen him more involved with the offense going back to training camp this year compared to years past when he would be more involved on the defensive side during training camp.
0: We're chatting with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sose. Mac Jones had a tremendous rookie year. He took the Patriots to the playoffs. He led them to 10 wins. He earned a Pro Bowl nod. It obviously has not gone as well this year. What have been his biggest issues?
3: You know, Dan, I think it starts with what we're talking about with regards to the Patriots staff, a, a lack of trust, dissonance from the start. There had been, frankly, you know, especially in New England circles, a kind of shocking statements, sometimes veiled references to the offense or the lack of input from the quarterback and, and the player's back in the summer and it's continued during the course of the season you've seen his frustrations his body language the last few weeks if you've watched the Patriots even casually let alone closely and it's been a bad situation he, he has regressed and I think what, what's tra- transpired is that you know early on a lot of Mac's strengths were diminished the his his uh, capacity to process uh, his intelligence because with this simplified system a lot was taken out of his hands and rather than advancing, progressing the offense, they kind of scaled it back. They were conservative last year under McDaniels. They really took him along slowly. But then as the, the season got started this year, rather than going forward and building on that, they went backwards in a sense. And then he started to play poorly and turned the ball over a lot. They also, at the same time, he, while they wanted to simplify and you know reduce the playbook, they wanted to have more of a downfield uh, threat. And they wanted more production on deep throws. And so, you know, an offense that had long been predicated on taking what the defense gave them, you know, you know, death by a million paper cuts, (laughs) dink and doink in the middle of the field between the hash marks to Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, etc. Now they're throwing the ball downfield looking for those 50-50 balls to Devontae Parker. What he said were going to be 80 20 balls in his favor <laughs> 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 have been more like 20 80 if that, in, in you know, tilting toward the defense. And, and that I think just started a spiral effect. Max mechanics got out of whack, uh, mind games. He gets hurt against the Ravens, know, playing well in that game, and then turned the ball over several times late. He gets Hit on um, the final pass attempt of the game for the Patriots. Glass Campbell comes down on his legs, a high ankle sprain. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth uh, behind the scenes between, uh, you know, difference of opinion, his camp, so to speak, and in, in the, the coaches, what the Patriots wanted as an organization. Comes back, starts against the Bears. It's awful. Bra- Bailey Zappi had started for the Patriots, won back to back games, one road, one home. Uh, and Mac Jones takes the field against the Bears. Struggles throws an interception and he exits to fans chanting Zappy, Zappy, and it's just it's they've never been able to to get on the same page. They've never been able uh, to kind of regroup in a
0: sense and collect themselves and move forward. Since Zappy played well in those two games, is there much talk about let's give Mac a break, puts Bailey back in there and, and let him reset? Anything along those lines?
3: Oh, yeah, There's, there is there, there is quite a bit. I think it's interesting, the, the consensus on Mac Jones as the future of the Patriots. I think last year there were some detractors, but overall, I think the, the consensus was on a whole promising quarterback. This could be your franchise quarterback. Some would go so far as to say quarterback for the next 10 years. I heard CBS's Charles Davis say that on a telecast early this season. But after the offense struggles, Mac turns the ball over and Zappy comes in. And in an even more simplified attack, frankly, against two beat-up defenses at the time. And the the Lions were the worst defense, but they were also down several players in their secondary. And they go to Cleveland, and and the Browns were without Denzel Ward and Jadeveon Clowney. And Zappi plays well, taking nothing away from him. There's an innocence about him. Kid who played at a small school, Houston Baptist, and then one year at Western Kentucky. Wide-eyed, big smile. You know, shorter than your average NFL quarterback and he comes in and he plays great after this kid from Alabama who <laughs> in the offseason started to make a lot more appearances and uh, started showing up on your television a lot more and, and uh, you know you go back to the discord that was uh, evident in in the summer people started to sour on on Matt frankly particularly in the media here and in in Boston once the conversation starts particularly between the hours of 2 and 6 on <laughs> the least sports <laughs> station in town you know everybody takes their cues from that and so when Zappy comes in, he plays well. Then Mac comes, you know, comes back from his injury, uh, you know, turns it over against the Bears. You know, the, the the chants get louder. I think Belichick a couple of weeks later kind of quieted the talk. Mac played better. The Patriots won some games, but now there's, I think, a lot more conjecture again. Should they turn to Zappi? I think people have watched Mac's uh, demonstrative nature on the field, and and whereas I think there was a sympathetic audience for him, Dan, frankly, because people recognize. You, you know the, the 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 faults in the whole approach, the whole operation of the offense. Now they're saying, and I and I'm I'm kind of subscribed to this as well. Look, you got to go out and play, and and enough, you can't show up your coaches, you can't constantly gesticulate on the field the way he has been of late. It's become more noticeable. Certainly, the cameras are on him all the time.
0: We're chatting with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Soce. I'll admit, I didn't know that much about second-year running back Ramondre Stevenson. He's closing in 1,000 yards. He leads the Patriots in catches with 60. How good is Stevenson?
3: Uh, he's very good. Yeah, he's very good. It's the first time I think that the Patriots have really had a featured back since the former Bengal, Corey Dillon, where you could say, this is their bell cow. This is the guy that is going to be out there for the bulk of the snaps, And it wasn't designed that way. It wasn't planned that way. Damian Harris has been beat up. Uh, he was their leading rusher from a year ago. A guy's had 20 career touchdowns, 15 of them, last season to tie a franchise record, uh, second in the league. But Harris banged up. Stevenson, more of a presence. Also James White, uh, re- retired after a hip injury last year, tried to come back, retired before the season started. And so Stevenson... Not only winds up being your primary ball carrier, an almost exclusive ball carrier, because behind him and Harris, you had two rookies, one of whom from the FCS level who weren't ready. The other of whom had a fumbling issue in the preseason, so they didn't trust him. He was on the practice squad. So Ramon not only carrying the ball most of the time, now he becomes your top running back option in the passing game. And as you might have heard Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals say last week, this, the, the offense is called a lot like a defensive coach would call it, a lot of screen passes and against his Cardinals, the Patriots called a dozen screens. So that's involved Stevenson a lot in the passing game. He's a terrific player. Great find for them, I think, in the draft. I won't say that he's going to be the best Oklahoma running back on the field (laughs) on saturday
0: but i think it's going to be a lot closer than most people would have ever expected so the offense has struggled the defense is excellent top 10 against the pass top 10 against the run seventh and fewest points allowed let's start up front matthew Judon and josh uche is that as good as any pass rushing duo in the nfl
3: well, statistically, uh, you know, they were the first two pass rushers uh, to reach double figures in sacks on the same team, and really come on of late. Now, there's a qualifier, Dan. A lot of the defensive statistics, frankly, were inflated against, frankly, bad quarterback play. Sam Ellinger, for example, for the Colts, Zach Wilson for the Jets before they turn things over to Mike White. So in, 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 in context, I think people have to keep that in mind. Uh, Judon went, went quiet late last year uh, he had 12 and a half sacks pro bowl season no production in the last four games and he didn't show up on the stat sheet 50 plus snaps against the raiders so it's going to be interesting to see how he plays this week against a much better offensive line a, a far better uh, offense frankly and, and they're going to need him to, to stay at a chance i think in this game against the Bengals. Uche is a terrific athlete, an explosive player. He was utilized by Don Brown as the defensive coordinator at Michigan as strictly a pass rusher, situational guy. Came into the NFL and the Patriots his first year, played him off the ball, didn't have a chance really just to put his hand down and rush the quarterback. That's not what a Patriots defensive end typically does. you got to be able to, to do all the facets of their defensive uh, scheme set the edge, play against the run, cover in the flat, drop in coverage. And he struggled with that. And then he got hurt in his second year. This season, he's been healthy. Like I said, I think that athleticism has showed up of late. And they've been helped out too, frankly, by Devon Godchaux. It's been good for them as a defensive tackle. Teams have definitely made an effort to double team him. Uh, Christian Barmore just came back from a prolonged absence because of injury. I think he's a very promising, young, explosive player as well.
0: Year after year, it seems to me the Patriots lose good cornerbacks and safeties to free agency, but remain great in the secondary. Is that true? And if so, why?
3: Well, I think they're good. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, Jonathan Jones has been a a, a good cornerback this year, and I think a lot of it, Dan, frankly, is, is is schematics, what they do sometimes to confuse quarterbacks with their coverages, and uh, you know the the marriage of their fronts and, and coverages. Now. I think the secondary has been a lot better than people anticipated at the cornerback position. Jalen Mills has been hurt and that, that has been costly for them. I think these last couple of weeks dealing with a groin injury, Jack Jones is a, a cornerback that they took a guy with some red flags coming out of college. He was a USC first, then an Arizona state, the Patriots got him as a mid round pick and he's gotten off to a good start. He missed last week's game because of knee injury, Marcus Jones, who is one of the most dynamic players that I've seen, In a Patriots uniform in my 10 years, in terms of his overall athletic ability, he's a triple threat. We've seen him return a punt to win a game against the Jets. We have seen him on offense uh, against the Bills take a pass, 48 yards with his first NFL, NFL, uh, his first pro touch uh, for a score. And then defensively, the last couple of weeks, he's played very, very well against some very, very good receivers, including Devontae Adams and the Raiders. Very good at at the safety position. That's the deepest position, the most experienced position. I think Kyle Duggar is a young player that, uh, you know, there's a lot to like about. He's a foundational piece for them. Maybe not as good in coverage as some of the other, uh, you know, contemporaries around the league that he has. But in terms of physicality and and just a knack for making plays, he's really had a good season for them. And then there's Devin McCourty, quarterbacks at all. And I think that's a big key that easily gets overlooked because he doesn't show up as much on the stat sheet as well, even though he's got 30-plus interceptions over his long career. But he's a guy that directs things and I think keeps everybody on the same page back there.
0: Final thing for Bob Sose. I think a lot of us are wondering how the Patriots are going to bounce back if they're going to bounce back from what happened last week it seems like it could go one of two ways either you spiral after a loss of that nature and that magnitude or you rally you're embarrassed you're still in the playoff hunt. you come back strong do you have a feeling for what the patriots are going to look like on sunday or saturday i, I should say
3: yeah dan you know I, I i don't have a feeling i have a fear I would say, a concern about how this team is going to bounce back. You know, it's funny. I've had the infamy of, as I understand it, calling the two walk-off plays in NFL (laughs) history that involved multiple multiple laterals to win or lose a game. One was in Miami in 2018, the hook and lateral play by the Dolphins to beat the Patriots in Miami. And then, of course, last week's play. Well, the 2018 team was led by Tom Brady and a number of other veteran players. And they bounced back and they won the Super Bowl. With Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman, and a very, very good defense uh, led by Stefan Gilmore, uh, as you know, one of the top defensive players in the league at that time, you know, be, a year before he became defensive player of the year. Well, they shut down the Rams. They win the Super Bowl. They bounce back very nicely. This team, it, it's not the same old Patriots. You got a lot of new guys on this team, as I alluded to, or, or even uh, you know, described directly a, a bit earlier in the conversation. There's been a lot of grousing. There's been some disconnect. And you know some would say dissension. I mean, you had offensive players openly questioning the, openly questioning the coaching staff after the Bills game a couple of weeks ago. So that doesn't portend very well for a strong rebound for the Patriots. They have three games left, all against very good teams. Miami at home, and then Buffalo. Uh, their their playoff chances are still alive, but it's it's between slim and none. Let's face it. You know, for them to win all three of those games and, and really stand a legitimate chance of, of doing anything in the postseason, uh, so I, you know it, it's a game they have to have. I think there's so many questions about them going into the offseason and these next three weeks are going to determine whether you know the questions uh, increase uh, or some of them are answered, or the you know the chorus gets louder here.
0: That distinction of calling the two game-ending <laughs> plays featuring multilaterals <laughs> is an interesting one, and. You called them both great. As I told you in a text, I can't imagine somebody calling last week's finish any better than you did. So kudos on that. And I'm looking forward to our Pawtucket Red Sox reunion on Saturday in Foxborough.
3: Oh, well, I really appreciate that uh, because uh, you
0: call everything great as well. Dan, Dan, thanks so much. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth podcast presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.